Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Go Bears! Go Bears! Go Bears! be here. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Welcome into the show, it's Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. We have so much to get to today on this busy Sunday. Right off the bat, though, I do want to let you know, in case I cut out at all, I cannot hear myself in my headphones. So usually when I'm talking on the air, I can hear myself and hear how I sound. I cannot hear myself right now, so I'm kind of flying blind here. So if I cut out at all, I apologize in advance. I literally cannot tell how I sound, if I'm cutting out, what you're hearing. Cannot hear any of it right now. So this is going to be really fun. We're going to do the best we can here for the next 58 minutes or so. But just letting you know, I'm dealing with some stuff on my end. We'll see if I can get it fixed. But welcome into the show. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It's great to be back with you. We have so much to talk about today. This is one of the busiest shows I've had in a long time. This is a great Chicago sports day. We've got Bears-Packers coming up at noon. I'm taking you up to kickoff. We've got the Sky and the Mercury facing off in Game 4 of the WNBA Finals at 2 o'clock. That game's on ESPN, so at one point, you can watch the second half of the Bears game and the Sky versus the Mercury. It's going to be an awesome Chicago sports day. And I'm going to talk a lot of hockey, especially out of the gate, just warning you. Got a lot of hockey talk planned. I've been kind of building this up for a couple days. That's going to happen today. The White Sox got bounced in the playoffs in the ALDS against the Astros, and Tony La Russa is coming back as manager. We'll react to that, I promise. You can sound off if you want. Bulls tip off Wednesday, and the Cubs named a GM. We have a lot of news for all of the Chicago sports teams this week, and I haven't even gotten to the college football stuff that happened last night. If I have time, and depending on my rundown here, looking at my notes, I'm not sure if I will, but if I have time, we will talk some college football because there was a lot that happened yesterday across college football. The Big Ten had a big upset. Tennessee fans did something I'm not real happy with. We'll maybe get to that at the end of the show. But for right now, to start the show, I'm going to talk hockey. We're going to do that hockey. And man, <laughs> how do I put this? I don't know how to put this lightly. Um, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. The Blackhawks are 0-2-1 this year. They allowed, I've got it in my notes here, 4.3 goals per game. 
So in three games, they've allowed 13 goals. Okay? That's not good. And those goal totals were four, four, and five, including four in the first period last night. I told you this was going to happen. I'm coming out firing today. And maybe, it's, I don't know if it was because I'm in a good mood yesterday. I'm in a good mood today. I don't know what the deal is. I'm coming out firing today, so be ready. I'm not happy, Bob. <laughs> this is not. All off season. I've been telling you that I'm not real excited for hockey season. You know, it felt like it snuck up on us this year because it kind of did, but it felt like it snuck up on us. I watched opening night. I was starting to get excited. Then the Blackhawks gave up a goal in the first 30 seconds. Then the next game I'm watching, okay, maybe they'll bounce back. They gave up a goal in the first 30 seconds. Okay, game three. I did not watch last night because I was working for the news desk at Saturday Tradition where I do my other Big Ten coverage. And I got the alert. The Blackhawks scored in the first 30 seconds. Marc-Andre Fleury is one of the best goalies in the game right now. His Vanessa Trophy winner last year, for a reason, he's very good. The Blackhawks got him for literally nothing. I can't explain that any better because the Blackhawks sent the prospect from Rockford, I think it was Rockford, to Vegas for Marc-Andre Fleury. But here's the thing, that prospect is still with Rockford, but his rights are with Vegas, or it's some arrangement like that. So the translation is they got him for literally nothing, okay? That's who you have in goal. He's not the problem. He can only stop so many pucks. There is no defense on this team, which is surprising considering the amount of money that the Blackhawks spent to get Seth Jones. I said at the time, I thought they overpaid him. They don't have a defense. You can't pay that kind of money for a defenseman if you don't have any defense. You can't justify it. And I can't tell... That that contract is obviously on the general manager, Stan Bowman, who if you've listened to the show long enough, you know I'm a big fan of, right? And I mean that with the most sarcasm you can imagine. Not a Stan Bowman fan. I'm also not a Jeremy Colleton fan. And this offseason, supposedly this offseason, there's a new system put in place in defense to be better. The defense was going to be better. No, it's not better. They're still giving up goals in the first 30 seconds. And that's not something you want to see when you have the talent level on defense, especially with Seth Jones anchoring the defense. Marc-Andre Fleury is your goalie. The goalie can only do so much. You could have Tony Esposito, God rest his soul, in that goal, and he wouldn't be able to stop these shots. It is time to start over. And I've been saying that all offseason. I came on these airwaves when Stan Bowen was promoted to president of hockey operations and did not have a general manager underneath him. Therefore, he's his own boss. He's not, he does not have a general manager. It is just Stan Bowman running the show. I came on here at the time and said, this is not good. This is not a good thing. And now you're seeing what I meant. This is not at all how you want to start the season. That was as disastrous a road trip as you can imagine. 13 goals in three games. To give you an idea, let me put this in perspective. We're going to jump in the Wayback Machine here, Mr. Peabody. In 2008, Dennis Savard was the Blackhawks coach. He lasted four games before Dale Talon fired him and brought in Joe Quenville. That team gave up 12 goals in four games, and they won the fourth game. 
This group has given up 13 goals in three games. Now, I'm not a math pathologist. I, told, I keep saying I'm not a math guy. But I can tell you that 13 is more than 12, especially when it happens in one fewer game. So I've seen this on Twitter, too. This is the first time I've really seen the blowback toward Jeremy Colleton on Twitter. I mean, I've seen friends of mine saying it, and I've seen fans saying it, and it's time to move on. He's just, he's not the answer. I said it this offseason. He is not the coach to lead this team and develop this team. He was brought in because he's Stan Bowman's guy. Because Stan and Q did not get along. Speaking of Coach Q, by the way, a reminder that he was fired 15 games into the season in 18, and I still disagree with that decision. So here we are. That was 2018. This is 2021. That's three years to get the defense ready to go and start developing players, and the Blackhawks have not done that. So now I'm sitting here now telling you I've been saying this now for how long has Sam Bowman been president? Has it been five months? It's got to be more than that. Either way, my point is the Blackhawks are in a bad spot right now. And it's especially amplified because you have the Bulls who turn things around quick with a new front office. You've got the Bears who have a newfound sense of optimism with Justin Fields. Their front office is still a mess, but they have the optimism with Justin Fields. The White Sox just made the postseason. Their future is bright. The Sky are in the WNBA Finals. The Cubs are the Cubs. But you get my argument here. This is now amplified that the Blackhawks are like this because there's optimism around the other teams in town. This is what we got to deal with now. It's time for change. It's got to happen soon. If you go out and spend the type of money that you spent on Seth Jones, if you bring in a goaltender like Marc-Andre Fleury, your goal should be to make the playoffs, no? This team is not built to tank. And that's what it looks like they're doing. It looks like they're tanking. This team should not be tanking. This team needs to be going for the playoffs. And right now, they don't even have a win in the first three games. Now, granted, they were faced, they faced Colorado in game one. That's a great offense. They faced the Pittsburgh Penguins last night. So the competition level has been high. But you can't give up 13 goals in three games. And it, I don't think it'd be so bad. You can, I guess, give up 13 goals in three games, but they can't be in the first minute. You've got to quit with that. No more of this scoring goals in the first minute of games. No more four-goal first periods. That's not how you win at all. That's how you keep losing. That's how you tank. I stand by it. They should have tanked last year, and they didn't. Now, this year, you went out and you got some big-name free agents. That's great. You made a trade for one of the best goalies in the game. That's great. Go win hockey games. I said before, I said it last week, I'm saying it again. This was the most apathetic I've been about a hockey season. And my first game I watched, now I have, this is not like I jumped on the bandwagon after 2010. The first hockey game I ever watched, the first one I remember watching, I should say, 2009 Winter Classic, Blackhawks Red Wings at Wrigley Field. Yes, I know the Red Wings won that game. I know, Jonah, you're listening. I know the Red Wings won that game. But my point is, I've been watching this team since Nikolai Habibulin was in goal. Okay? And I know, like, I feel like I sound like that kid who's trying to put into perspective, oh, I've been a fan this long when all these people are like, oh, yeah, do you remember Tony Esposito? No, that's not my point. 
My point is, comparatively speaking, they won the Stanley Cup in 2010, and all of a sudden, everybody was a hockey fan. This is my 12th year watching Blackhawks hockey. I lived through the golden years. That's what got me into hockey was the golden years, that Stanley Cup run. And now they're doing this? And they got rid of the coach who did this, who got that started, who led them to those Stanley Cup titles. They fired him for the guy they have now, and Joel Quinville is living it up in Florida right now with the Panthers. And Blackhawks fans are sitting here watching whatever that is on NBC Sports Chicago. It's time to start over. I can't believe Stan Bowman still has a job, by the way. Well, I can believe it, and I've talked about it on here before. But Stan Bowman, it's, he's not the answer. I, I also love this thing he does where he brings back players who played for the Blackhawks. Like, Eric Gustafson is a Blackhawk again. And I, there was a tweet from Mark Lazarus earlier this week. And I got, I got to find it. But it listed the players that Stan Bowman brought back to the Blackhawks. And these names, <laughs> it's, it's laughable. And if I can get it, if I can get it to load, I'm going to read it to you. But my tweet deck's being weird. But either way, I can I can list off the top of my head like Patrick Sharp came and he left and came back. Johnny Oduya came came back, and it's now Eric Gustafson. But you know he traded Artemi Panarin. I'm still not over that. Yeah, this is. Blackhawks are in a bad spot right now. And I knew I was going to go on this rant today. And I'm still trying to load this tweet. I'm stalling. Here we go. Former Blackhawks reacquired by Stan Bowman. Brian Campbell. Daniel Carcillo. Adam Clendening. Vinny Henestroza. Nikolai Hobbybulin. Marcus Kruger. Andrew Ladd. Jeremy Morin. Johnny Oduya. Brandon Peary. Brandon Saad. Patrick Sharp. Andrew Shaw. Christopher Stieg. Twice. And now Eric Gustafson. This is, like, that's a Jerry Reinsdorf thing. We joke about Jerry Reinsdorf with that stuff. About how, oh, once you, once a bull, always a bull. Once a White Sox, always a White Sox. That's some Jerry Reinsdorf stuff right there. That's, let me, let me count that again. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I'm counting for Steve twice, so 16. That's 17 players that he's traded away and brought back. What's the logic behind that? Can someone explain that to me, please? I want to know the logic behind trading a player away and bringing him back. I don't understand it. So if it's me, I'm starting over. A new president of hockey operations, a new head coach, find a GM under the president of hockey operations. That's the other thing that kind of, people aren't talking about that. The Blackhawks don't have a general manager. The Blackhawks have a president of hockey operations and no general manager. So Stan Bowman is both. He is effectively the president of hockey operations and the general manager. He's his own boss. It's not good. It makes me sad that the Blackhawks are in the spot they're in. 
It's going to start with the head coach. There's no reason this team should be playing this poorly right now. And I go back to Black, it's Blackhawks history. Savard fired after four games. Q after 15 games. I still disagree with it. I will disagree with it for a long time until they start winning. If they somehow turn this around and start winning under Jeremy Colton, I'll eat my words. But for right now, it's looking pretty bad. Said it at the time. I remember waking up that day. And so I was at school. I had a radio in my bedroom and I just kept it on all the time. Like I just never turned it off. And I used to listen to Les Grob scene overnight. And I'd, I'd roll over in the morning and flip over to Cap and Company on 1000. And I just flipped it over. I rolled back over and I hear Joel Quenville fired. And I woke up I'm like, am I dreaming? I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Look at how well it's gone since. I don't think I'd be feeling this way if the Blackhawks did not have an all-time goalie in Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, let's even go back three years ago. Could you imagine getting Marc-Andre Fleury for nothing? He's still at the height of his game. He was talking about retirement because Vegas didn't treat him well and the way that was executed was not good. I I want to say something else, but... I don't know if I can, but the way he left Vegas was not good, and he thought about retiring, and now here he is. I know he had 30 saves in the first game, at least. I'm going to pull up his game log for you and put into perspective just how many shots he's facing, how many saves he's making in a game, because do the math, they're giving up, what did I say, 4.3 goals a game. Against Colorado, 36 shots against, four goals against, the 32 saves. Against the Penguins last night, he had 10 shots against, four goals against. He made six saves last night. It looks like they pulled him. Now, I did not watch that game last night. Yesterday, Saturday, it's game day. I write about Big Ten football. I don't watch much else besides football on Saturdays. So I only saw the stats, and they were not good. They were bad enough to where I can go on this rant that I'm going on right now and say what I'm saying without even watching the game. Kevin Lankin came in after Flurry and had 15 saves. So all in all, the Blackhawks had 21 saves on 26 shot attempts. Ouch. 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 Let's go back to the game against New Jersey. Yeah, New Jersey scored in the first minute of the game. Lankanen was in goal. 25 saves, 29 shot attempts. Play defense. I've always said that hockey is the one sport I probably wouldn't be able to coach of the major sports, basketball, football, baseball, and hockey. Hockey is the one I wouldn't be able to coach. I've never played it. But I can tell you, you've got to play defense in front of the goal. It's got to change. And I really think Jeremy Colleton needs to be gone by year's end if they want this to happen soon. I don't think Stan Bowman's the guy to lead this team. 
He gets credit for the Stanley Cup runs. Dale Talon set up those teams. Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, ring a bell. Those are Dale Talon's guys. And don't even get me started on the off-the-ice issues with the Blackhawks involving that lawsuit. I don't want to talk about it in detail because I'm not in the weeds on it. I don't know enough to talk about it to make sure I'm 150% accurate. I have not read... I don't want to say I haven't read enough, but I haven't read into it like deeply to be able to talk about it on the air like this. But that whole situation is bad. There's a lot wrong with the Blackhawks right now, and it's on the ice and off the ice. Thank you for indulging me in that. I've been waiting about 12 hours to go on that kind of rant, and I was getting my notes together before going on the air, and looking at them, my entire first page, now I have two pages of notes here on a yellow legal pad. That was one whole page of Blackhawks talk. I had a lot I wanted to get to, and I just crammed it into 20 minutes because we have a lot more to talk about today. Like I said, it's a busy Chicago sports day. We have a lot to talk about. I'm going to get to the sky. I promise, game four is today. I'm really excited for it, but I have thoughts on the White Sox real quick. The White Sox lost to Houston in the ALDS, and my my trash can is too far away from me, so I can't hit the garbage can to talk about Houston. That's usually my my knee-jerk reaction when I talk about the Astros as I start hitting the garbage can. White Sox lost 3-1. They were down 2-0. They got a win at guaranteed rate, thought that'd swing the momentum, and then game four, not quite. A lot of questions about Tony La Russa. You know, I kind of talked about that. Actually, I didn't kind of talk about it. I did talk about it on last week's show about the bullpen mismanagement and the mistakes he made in the dugout and how game one was on him. Look, I still think Tony La Russa is a good manager. I'm never taking that away from him. He's a Hall of Famer for a reason. But he made mistakes. Now, he's coming back next year, and that's according to Bob Nightingale, who basically has a red phone that connects directly to Jerry Reinsdorf's office. So I trust that. He was all over the Tony La Russa news last year. We laughed him off. He had, it, he had it immediately. I'm telling you, Bob Nightingale has a direct line to Jerry Reinsdorf. So Tony's going to be back for 2022. He's still my pick for manager of the year. I get the case for Alex Cora. I still think it's going to be Tony. Ten years off, that many wins, do that with this team, overcome the injuries that they overcame. But going back to the team as a whole, outside of the manager, going back to the the White Sox roster as a whole, I tweeted this and I mean it, and I'll explain it a little more here. I'm getting big 84 Bears, 15 Cubs, 90 Bulls vibes from this team. There's talent on this roster, enough talent on this roster to win the World Series. I'm a Cubs fan, and I picked the White Sox to win the World Series. That tells you what I think about the players that they have. They can do it. And I think next year, maybe get a veteran pitcher or have another pitcher come in and light it up. Maybe Imagine how different this would be this year if Dallas Keuchel was Dallas Keuchel, by the way. Rodon's going to free agency. I'm not sure he'll be back. It sounds like Craig Kimbrell is going to come back technically to the White Sox, but they're going to trade him. They're going to pick up his option and try to trade him. which. By the way, the Cubs fan in me wants to thank 
Rick Hahn for Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer, by the way. They've got the pieces. They might need to add a couple more. It's like the 15 Cubs were. They needed to add a couple pieces. Say what you want about Jason Hayward offensively. He's a gold glove right fielder. He's a great leader. They don't win the World Series without him. They need guys like that. And I think they need a second baseman. Cesar Hernandez, after coming over from Cleveland, was not the same Cesar Hernandez. They need a second baseman. And they need just pitching help. And I have not looked into this free agency class. I have not dove into that yet. I will once the World Series is over. Because after that, okay, who's going to pick up their option? Who? What's the scuttle going to be about? Who's going back to their teams? Et cetera, et cetera. But there are going to be options out there. And Rick Hahn has shown he's aggressive. And it sounds like Jerry is letting him do what he needs. So the White Sox will be back. I'm not panicking about it. And I'm pretty sure I'm one of the only ones that's out there like defending Tony LaRusso all the time. Now, I know that I got some tweets at me. You know, I've been defending Tony LaRusso all year. And I criticized him one time. And I think it was a fair criticism, by the way. And all of a sudden, it's like I've been criticizing him all year. No, I've been defending Tony all year. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer baseball person for a reason. Yeah, he took 10 years off the game. But the playoffs is usually where he shines. He didn't shine this year. I still don't understand the decision to not throw Kopech in game one. He said he wasn't available for game four, and he went out there and didn't look great. Everyone is saying that Kopech is going to end up in the rotation one day. And is it sustainable to throw 100 some miles an hour in the rotation like that. Now, I know he had Tommy John surgery, and usually they that pitchers come back from Tommy John surgery better than they were before they had it. But is, is it sustainable? Is he going to prove himself as a starter, or is he a good long reliever? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. He'd be a good change of pace in the rotation, for sure. You know, have a guy come in throwing 100. So maybe that could be a thing. We'll see what happens in spring training. But I definitely think Tony La Russa is still the second best baseball mind alive right now, only to Joe Torre, who's not leaving the commissioner's office. That's not going to happen. So you have the second best baseball mind alive right now. I know he's 77. Oh, trust me. I know he's 77. They said it on every broadcast during game two on the MLB network. Oh my goodness. It was every half. Inning. In case you didn't know, Tony LaRusso 77, Dusty Baker 72. And if you don't believe me, go listen to Bob Costas, Jim Cott, and uh, who was the other one in there? Buck Showalter. Yeah, I know his age is a thing. I know the stuff this year, the, the runner on second base and in extra innings when he let Liam Hendricks run, the plunking debate, which, side note, Jose Abreu. Got hit by a pitch in game four. Tony LaRusso went out and argued, and I, I guarantee you, he went out to argue to try and fire up the fans, which, okay, that's Tony. He's going to do that. That's fine. He went out and argued for a while. Jose Altuve came up the next inning and hit a home run. Now, I'm not usually one to sit out here and advocate for throwing at a guy. Trust me, I've never done that. However... Tony's out there talking about retaliation earlier in the year. I'm just saying. 
Altuve got grooved one, and he hit it into the left field bleachers for a three-run homer. I'm just going to leave it at that. But my point is, Tony La Russa is still Tony La Russa. I think there's still that creative, innovative manager in there. And it's a matter of he took 10 years off the game, and it took him a little while to adjust to the game today. The White Sox will be back. This was not a one-year, flash-in-the-pan type of deal. They will be back. They've got young, fun pieces. They just need a couple more to round it out, and they can make a run, whether it be next year or the year after. I know people didn't want Tony back next year. He's coming back next year. I figured that was a thing. That was no surprise to me that Tony was coming back next year. Now we can see they have a chip on their shoulder now. They just lost to the Houston Astros. That's one of the least popular teams in baseball. They lost to the Astros in the ALDS. And now they can use that chip on their shoulder to do even better next year, make the playoffs, and make a run and go get a ring. I've got a couple Twitter DMs I want to get to here, but first, we're hitting the bottom of the hour, so I want to remind you, you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM with Nick Schultz, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. I'm still coming to you from my garage in Dwight, Illinois. Loyola students are allowed back in the studio. I'm really happy that they're back in studio. Unfortunately, us alumni are still working remotely. Therefore, no phone calls. So if you want to chime in on the conversation, slide into my Twitter DMs at Nick Schultz underscore seven or reply to my last tweet at Nick Schultz underscore seven. I will get to all of them on the air, assuming they're, you know, appropriate. Daryl Horowitz, former host of the show, chimes in over DM. Sox need two starting pitchers because you can't count on Kopech and Crochet as starters for sure, and one of them has to be really good. Defense is definitely going to be a problem in the playoffs as it's not playoff caliber. And when you hear LaRusse's comments after the game, I would have fired him because I don't like his thinking. That's all you can base it on. By the way, I would take Bochy over him right now. All right, there's a lot to break down here. First of all, I would keep Garrett Crochet in the bullpen, at least for now. He's younger than me. Enough said. I mean, I'm 23. He's younger than me. Keep him in the bullpen. With Kopech, I don't know. I'm still not sold on him as a starter, and I don't. I shouldn't say not sold on him. I should say I'm not sure he'd be sustainable as a starter. You get what I'm saying? I think as a reliever, coming in and throwing 100 miles an hour, that's good. That's good for a relief pitcher. As a starter, now I know Nolan Ryan threw 100 miles an hour. I understand that. That rings in my head when I say this. But you can bring in Kopech out of the bullpen. Bring in a different starter. I don't know who it could be. I don't have a name for you. I've not, I've not looked into the free agency class that much. I don't have a name for you to go out and get. Now, I agree with you about the defense. The defense is a problem. One other, that's one other Tony LaRusa decision that I'm not happy about. Why is Larry Garcia out in right field in game one? That's just why. The defense is not good. That needs that's discipline. That's I don't I don't know how to go about that besides just reps and discipline. But yeah, I agree. The defense is a problem. Uh, and then Larusa's comments. Yeah, I I could see that as a fireable offense, but I mean I don't know. I think there was a lot going against Tony this year, and I'm not saying it wasn't warranted. I mean the DUI stuff, 
that's not good. I'm not defending that at all. And the comments about, oh, we're old school, we throw the throwing at players stuff, okay, I can see why people weren't happy about that. I understand that. I can't say I was happy about it because I really wasn't. Like, okay, you don't you don't say that in the press conference. And the stuff about Kopech, about we, w- we weren't going to bring him in unless we needed him to win the game. Yeah, that wasn't, you, you don't say that either. <laughs> and I think that's just Tony. I think Tony is going to tell you what he thinks. He always has. You have to remember, I lived in a house with a Cardinals fan. My brother is a St. Louis Cardinals fan. He idolizes Tony La Russa. Always has. When the White Sox hired him, he turned to me and said, take the White Sox to win the World Series right now. He was the only one I heard say it right away. I've heard Tony La Russa's press conferences for a long time. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And I know, Daryl, you know that too. I'm not telling you anything you don't know here. So I don't know if that was a fireable offense necessarily. I don't know. I'm back and forth on it. Part of me says yes. Part of me says no. And if you would take Bochy over him right now, does Bruce Bochy want to come back to baseball? Then again, I was asking that about Tony. But does Bruce Bochy want to come back to the dugout? I know his name has been rumored for, uh, oh, who would, I just heard his name come up. I lost it. The Padres job. There was rumor about Bruce Bochy for the Padres, which I think would be maybe a decent fit, but it, that's the other thing here. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Kind of going on a tangent here. People are talking about Bruce Bochy to the Padres. The Padres, similar to the White Sox, young, fun team. Fernando Tatis Jr. is one of the most exciting players in baseball. Oh, by the way, that trade worked out well for the White Sox, didn't it? James Shields isn't even in the league anymore. Bruce Bochy is 66 years old. So he's not 76 like Tony was when he took over the White Sox. But he's still kind of an older school manager, I'd say. Just saying. I noticed that. And Bochy hasn't been out of the game 10 years. I understand that. It's kind of apples and oranges. But my point is, it's an old school manager with a young team. So yeah, I can I can understand where you're coming from with Bochy, but I still... Tony Larusa is one of the best baseball minds alive right now. I st- Joe Torre's better. But he's not leaving the commissioner's office. Therefore, Tony LaRussa is your option. I think Tory is one. LaRussa is two. There's no taking that away. The White Sox will be back. Tony's coming back next year. Maybe they'll be back with Tony. Maybe they'll be back once they move on from Tony. I don't know. But the pieces are there. This is not going to be one of those things where the White Sox win the division this year. They won't for another 13 years. They'll be back. I'm not worried about it. All right, I got 25 minutes left. I still got a few things to talk about, too. Let's talk WNBA. How about the Chicago Sky? How about the Sky? They should have probably swept Phoenix going in, but Phoenix doesn't come off losses badly. I mean, they they lose, they win. They lose, they win. That's what I'm kind of worried about today. But the Sky are up 2-1 to one in the WNBA Finals Game 4 coming up today at 2 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, if you're into gambling, uh, the Sky are favored by 4.5. That's my lock of the day. They won the last game. It was the largest margin of victory in a WNBA Finals game ever. 
The Sky were favored by three the other night. They were favored by three. They won that game, if I can find it, 86 to 50. 36 points. That was at a sold-out Trust Arena. They did a great job containing Brittany Griner. And how about Kalia Copper? 22 points. She is putting her name on the map in these playoffs this year. So game four today at 2 p.m. And yeah, the Sky are favored by four and a half. I would lock that in, by the way. I think the Sky clinch it today. This could be a great sports day in Chicago. It is going to be a great sports day in Chicago with both the Bears and the Packers and the Sky and the Mercury playing at the same time. It could be a really, really great night if the Bears win and the the Sky win. That would make for an awesome night in Chicago, wouldn't it? Wind Trust is going to be rocking today. I have not heard if today's game is sold out. I know last game sold out. It was a great atmosphere. It's just it's also great to see Wind Trust Arena filling up like that. Because I mean, I I will admit, I have not gone out of my way to watch Sky Games this year outside of the playoffs, but I've followed them. I've read them. You know, Annie, I think I, I, I'm gonna butcher her last name. It's Annie Costabile, Costabile over at the Sun Times covers them. She does a great job. I read all of her stuff. So I knew they were good this year. Bringing Candace Parker back was great for marketability. You know, bringing Candace Parker home was awesome for marketing the team and building the profile in the city. Jump on the bandwagon now. There's still time. They'll let you on. No, I still say, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. I do wish that the Sky were playing in Vegas because Bill Lambeer coaches them, and I just want to see Bill Lambeer get beat by a Chicago basketball team again. We had two to one series lead. Kalia Copper's unreal. Candace Parker's still Candace Parker. Enough said. But it's not going to be easy today. I didn't think it'd be easy the other day. But it's not going to be easy today going up against Diana Taurasi and the Phoenix Mercury. It should be a good one. That's on ESPN at two. So if you want to have two screens going, Bears Packers is on Fox at noon. Sky Mercury is on ESPN at two. If they both win, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a real good day. 20 minutes left here. Got to talk football. I'm taking you up to kickoff. It's how I always build these shows. Bears-Packers at noon on Fox. Aaron Rodgers versus Justin Fields. I'm very excited for this game. I'm always excited for Packer Week as a Bears fan. But that said, my excitement, it's always a little tempered. You know, it's Packers and... The Packers always seem to have the Bears number, especially Aaron Rodgers. But big news, injury report. Allen Robinson, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, active today. Packers are favored by five and a half points. The game is at Soldier Field. No Damian Williams, though. Damian Williams is out. He's on the COVID list. So that means the Bears are down their top two running backs. That's not great. Not ideal, considering... The way the offense was running, you need the run game. And Damian Williams looked like a pretty good replacement for David Montgomery. And I call that one too, just toot my own horn a little bit. You know, he played for the Chiefs and probably people agree with this. 
he probably would have been Super Bowl MVP if Patrick Mahomes wasn't, you know, Patrick Mahomes. So that's something to watch today, too. That means Khalil Herbert is now RB1. So that means Justin Fields has to throw. Now, I trust Justin Fields throwing the ball. But he's going to have to throw against a depleted Packers secondary. They've got backup cornerbacks out there. Exploit that. Find Allen Robinson. Find Darnell Mooney. I don't want to see another loss to the Packers. Okay? The last time the Bears beat the Packers, I couldn't even watch the game in full because I was covering a basketball game at Gentile Arena. It was 2018. I remember it. It was 2018-19. And I was covering a game at Gentile Arena and had the game on my little iPad mini on press row trying to watch it. And I was trying to watch a basketball game too, so I couldn't sit down and watch the whole game. So I'm tired of seeing the Bears lose to the Packers. And I hope it changes today. You know, the Packers are favored by five and a half at Soldier Field. And they've got backup cornerbacks. Like I said, I was listening to 670 The Scores pregame show today. And they were talking about that. Their safeties are good, but they've got backup corners out there. They've got to capitalize on that. Justin Fields has to be Justin Fields. And I think Bill Lazor is doing a really good job of letting Justin be Justin. And I really think that it's a big reason why the offense looks like it does. I mean, they beat the Raiders last week, which I came out here and said they lose to the Raiders. They beat the Raiders last week, and it wasn't close. Then again, you know, context is key. It's the Raiders. They do this all the time. I could talk about that all day. Or I can talk to you about the fact that the Bears beat the Raiders who were undefeated just two weeks ago. Now, I know they're dealing with all kinds of stuff now with John Gruden resigning and that whole situation, which, don't get me started on it, but I know that's all going down too. They had some, they might not have been playing to their potential last week, but still, they beat the Raiders. So over 500, if they win today somehow, if they win today, they'll be tied for first in the NFC North. I was watching NFL Live this week. For some reason, I had it on, and I happened to look up. And I saw that Aaron Rodgers is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL under pressure this year. And the Bears are third in, I want to say third in the league in pressure, QB pressure. Under Sean Desai, so they're being more aggressive. And it helps that Max active, Hicks is active, Robert Quinn's looking like Robert Quinn. Maybe they can rattle Aaron Rodgers a little bit. But you still got to deal with Devontae Adams. And you got to deal with Aaron Jones. On top of Randall Cobb, by the way. So it's not going to be easy today. But it's, not, it's going to be even tougher without your top running backs. Hopefully, the Bears mix in play action like they should. Mix in some play action. Let Justin Fields throw some deep balls. I did see a highlight from, I think it was Jason Leisure at the Sun-Times that in warm-ups, Fields was on the run throwing a deep ball, and it was picture perfect. Need more of that today. Definitely need that. I will have a score prediction for you coming up in 10 minutes, but in my Bears talk, I realized I've read over something in my notes. So I have to circle back here and tell you about the Cubs' new GM. So last week I read you the names that were maybe in consideration for the Cubs' open GM spot, which was open since last year. 
They made a hire this week. Carter Hawkins from the Cleveland Indians, or I'm sorry, the Cleveland Guard. Are they the Guardians yet? When does that start? Are they the Guardians this year? Either way, I, I digress. He's coming over from Cleveland. He was the assistant GM in Cleveland, and he's Chicago Cubs' new general manager, 16th general manager in franchise history. And he was one of the names last week in the athletic article that I read from Sado Sharma and Patrick Mooney. And he's got quite a track record. He was assistant general manager in Cleveland. Before that, he was the director of player development. And before that, he was the assistant director of player development. He's instrumental in developing pitchers, which is one of the shortcomings, which, I mean, we, Daryl and I talked about it on the show when, when he hosted. It was one of the shortcomings of the Theo Epstein era was they didn't develop pitching. Well, this guy knows how to find pitchers. And my choice, I said it last week, would have been the candidate from the Tampa Bay Rays. Because if you can find anybody from the Rays, I mean, looking at what they do, when they do more with less, Carlos Rodriguez would have been my guy. He's Tampa's vice president of player development and international scouting. He would have been my pick, but Carter Hawkins is still a good pick. I mean, he played ball at Vanderbilt, and what he did with developing pitching, finding pitching, because Cleveland was really good at finding pitchers and developing pitchers. And Carter Hawkins was a big reason why. So he's the Cubs' new general manager. Now Jed Hoyer has someone else there. You know, he was acting, huh, full circle here, he was kind of acting like Stan Bowman this year. The title, the title wasn't the same because Stan Bowman is the president of hockey operations and general manager, but Jed Hoyer was the president of baseball operations with no general manager. So he now has a GM, and I think this is a good hire. It's about time. Going through a year without a GM, especially with the fire sale that happened, that was not probably in the plans. But now it's going to be Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins, and there's going to be a press conference tomorrow at Wrigley. I'm very curious to hear what he has to say. He's he's 37 years old. He's young. That's good. You need young. And I said this last week. I'm old school with baseball. I don't buy into war, WRC+, plus all these weird sabermetric stats and the fact that war isn't consistent across the same two sites bugs me. I don't buy into all that. I'm old school. I look at batting average on base percentage, on base plus slugging, whip for pitchers, walks, hits, innings pitched, ERA. I look at wins. I know not many people do, but I look at wins. Now, maybe with his background, Carter Hawkins could be of that new school, maybe not to the level, like to the extreme level of, say, Bill James, who's never picked up a baseball in his life, but I digress. Maybe he brings that blend of old and new that could be good for this front office. And maybe, like, that could be, is that a, re could you call that a reason why the Cubs only won one World Series? Was that they didn't buy into all that? Now, I mean, I, I don't either. So maybe it's a knock on me, too, with my way of thinking with baseball. But, it seemed like baseball was changing rapidly and the Cubs just stayed the course. So maybe this is a new voice that comes in and maybe can help turn things around, especially from the player development standpoint, because you've got to build up that farm system again. I don't want to see more tanking from the Cubs. I don't want to see them tank again. I don't think they're in position to. You know, they're going to have a strong middle infield core 
with Nico Horner at short and Nick Madrigal at second. Thanks, White Sox. And there's also a rumor going around. Okay, I'm glad I have some time left to talk about this. Let me, was there an article on it somewhere or, yeah, it was NBC Sports Chicago did an article on a potential free agent target for the Cubs that has me back and forth. I'm going to read you the lead from Gordon Wittenmeyer's article so you know who I'm talking about. It was hours after the game on a late May afternoon at Wrigley Field nine years ago when the long, quiet ballpark suddenly came alive again with the noise of crack after crack after crack of the bat and clank after clank of balls hitting seats in the bleachers of left center and right fields. Quote, that was my best workout, Carlos Correa said. I did the top seven teams in the draft that year, and that one was the most impressive one. I performed the best on that one, and I was really excited about that one. You read down a little further. And it says, can the Cubs finally fulfill their nine-year-old Carlos Correa fantasy when the youngest of this historic free agent shortstop class hits the market next month? Do they have the will and vision to try? Okay. I am so torn on this. Here's some quotes that stand out. Obviously, I'm focused on winning a championship with the Astros, but I've heard a lot of players talk about how great it is to play at Wrigley Field. and I've never gotten to play there at the major league level yet. Actually, a lot of players say it's the best stadium to play at. And next quote, when they traded everybody and then you look at the couple games after that, it was still sold out. I was like, these fans are great. So yeah. If you read between the lines there, and there's really not a lot of reading between the lines to do, he wants to play for the Cubs. The Cubs wanted him in that draft. I am, on one hand, he's a great player. He's lighting it up in the playoffs. He's a great player. I think back to 2017 with the garbage can stuff. And I don't know if I want that on my team. I don't like cheating. At least in that regard. You know, I I admittedly say when I played high school baseball, I used to steal signs, but I never hit a garbage can or was trying to find ways to get the signs to my guys like that. But I'd sit there and watch the coach and try to steal signs. But I don't know if I want someone associated with that on my favorite team. Maybe that's just my brain getting in the way. Maybe that's just me being very black and white and on paper. I don't know. Uh, Daryl chimes in again. He would have been the Cubs pick instead of out more. He wasn't thought to go one and it would have likely dropped to six. Byron Buxton was consensus number one. Yeah, I remember the draft. But I... uh, Do I want that on my favorite team? Now, I'd rather have Carlos Correa than Jose Altuve, admittedly. But would I want a guy like Carlos Correa on my favorite team? Would I want a guy who was involved in the cheating stuff with the garbage cans and the sign stealing on my favorite team? Part of me says yes from the baseball side of it, but the other part of me is like, once a cheater, always a cheater. I don't know. We're going to see what happens. We can't even 
free agency doesn't start until at least the World Series ends. I forget the exact date that free agency can begin. We're only in the League Championship Series right now. we got a lot of time to look at this. Breaking news right now. Are you kidding me? This actually happened? The Jacksonville Jaguars won a game. Sound the alarms. The Jacksonville Jaguars won a football game. Wow. They went to London and beat the Miami Dolphins. Wow. Urban Meyer won an NFL football game. Didn't think I'd be saying that a few weeks ago. (laughs) 23-20 was the final. That's a 20-game losing streak that the Jaguars snapped. So now now my, my question is, does that losing streak then carry over as they did that in England? Is it still a 20-game losing streak in the United States? Is that how we're going to spin this when they inevitably lose next week? Either way, Jacksonville won a game. This doesn't happen often. So that, yes, that is breaking news. 23-20, Jacksonville wins. Trevor Lawrence gets his first NFL win, and so does Urban Meyer. Did, did think I'd be saying that a few weeks ago with the video that went around. But Jacksonville won a football game today. We are about six minutes away from Bears-Packers from Soldier Field. It is Packer week. Always one of the most anticipated weeks on the schedule, whether the Bears are good or bad, whether the Packers are good or bad. Packer week is still Packer week. I told you that the Packers are favored by five and a half points. Allen Robinson, Akeem Hicks, and Khalil Mack are all active. That's huge. And I don't I, I should say that spread I read you was before the injury report came out and before I started the show. So things might have moved. I don't know. But either way. Justin Fields needs to throw the ball today. And I think Bill Lazor is going to be smart with the play calling, as we've seen him be. I like Bill Lazor as a play caller. I mean, it's easy to like him better than Matt Nagy. But yeah, I think Bill Lazor is a smart play caller. He's giving Justin Fields a chance to win. Now, on the offensive line, there was an injury last week that I noticed. And I don't, I don't want to laugh about an injury. I'm not laughing at the injury. I'm laughing at the situation. Jermaine Effetti went down with an injury. He's on the injured reserve. Am I the only one who thought the offensive line got better after he came out of the game? Is that just me? Am I the only one who noticed that? I thought the offensive line got better once Jermaine Effetti, a starter, came out of the game. Maybe that's just me. I'm not a Jermaine Effetti fan. He's the king of the false start. I mean, I've lost count of how many times he's been flagged for a false start. I don't know who's starting in his place today. I haven't seen it come across my Twitter timeline here. And i be honest with you, I haven't really looked for it. But maybe the offensive line is going to take a leap now that they don't have a guy jumping every other play. Eddie Goldman's healthy too. He's playing today. So you're going to have Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks up front with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn outside. The key for the Bears today is going to be to pressure Aaron Rodgers on defense because he has not done well under pressure this year. And on offense, you have to exploit those cornerbacks. You have to exploit the secondary, which is depleted. They got backups out there at the cornerback position. 
You have to take advantage of that. So those are the keys today. There are the Packers coming out of the tunnel right now. That's what you got to do if you're the Bears. My prediction, Packers 24, Bears 20. Maybe that's optimistic. Maybe that's me being too much of a fan. But I think the Packers only win by four if they win. Yeah, you heard me right. If they win. The Packers this year are not the Packers they were last year. Aaron Rodgers is not the MVP that he was a year ago. And also that hair. I don't want to. I mean, I'm due for a haircut too. But I'm not at that level. I'm just not an Aaron Rodgers fan. I'm a Bears fan. I it's in my blood not to like Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. But either way, realistically speaking, looking at the stats, looking, watching the games, Aaron Rodgers is not the MVP he was last year. He's not the player he was. He's still got Devontae Adams who can make plays. He's still got Aaron Jones in the backfield who can burn you. But they're not what they were. That's why my prediction is Packers 24, Bears 20. But depending on the play calling, depending on how Justin Fields steps up, he's played in these rivalry games before. I love the question this week about how the Bears have been the Michigan in this rivalry, putting it in perspective of Michigan, Ohio State, and how Ohio State just rolls over Michigan every year like it's nothing. And Fields didn't even acknowledge it. He just answered the question like it was another question. Didn't crack a smile, nothing. In case you haven't noticed, I'm a big Justin Fields fan. I'm driving the hype train. You can all come on board. It's okay. You might be a little late to the party, but you can come on board the Justin Fields hype train. And I think if there's a game for him to break out, it's this one. You don't have your top running backs. So the running game is not going to be as strong without David Montgomery or Damian Williams. Now, that's not to say Khalil Herbert can't light it up somehow. But... You don't have the run game like you did last week or the week before. It's going to be Justin Fields' show today. He needs to throw. He needs to run. I think Bill Lazor is going to put him in a position to succeed today. And that's why if the Bears lose, it'll be by four. But I could also see them winning. That's just me. Maybe I'm just a delusional Bears fan. But that's my opinion on it. I am out of time. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. And I hope I didn't cut out at all because, again, I still can't hear myself in my headphones. So I hope I didn't cut out at all and I sounded all right. Thank you for indulging me on my Blackhawks rant. And next week's going to be a fun week as well. And hopefully I'll get to some college football talk next week. I didn't have time for it today just with everything going on today. Bears coming up at noon on Fox. The Sky coming up at 2 on ESPN. I'll be bouncing back and forth between those two games. I can tell you that. It's going to be a great day in Chicago sports. We still got MLB playoffs going as well. Good Sunday night game tonight, too. We got Seahawks Steelers on NBC tonight at 720. Good day of football ahead. Hope you all have fun. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, get the vaccine when you can. And I talk to you right back here on the Sunday Sports Shootout next Sunday. Have an awesome week, everybody. Bear down today.